Blog Talk Radio. This broadcast of the PJC Media Network seeks to present wholesome, thought-provoking, and entertaining content. However, the views expressed by the hosts of PJC Media are theirs and theirs alone. They do not reflect the views of this network or its affiliates. Please utilize listener discretion. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Let's Talk About It with Jenny White Show. Each week, we feature different topics concerning issues that sometimes can be difficult to talk about. These issues concern children and adults who may be autistic, have Asperger's, or have mental disorders of any kind. We will discuss law enforcement and how they interact with these persons. Now, let's start the show. Well, hello, hello. Welcome to another Friday episode of the Let's Talk About It with Jenny White show. I'm your host this Friday, Macy O'Coman, and uh, we are uh, blessed to have the hostess with the most is Jenny White. Hey, Jenny White, are you with us today? Yes, I am. Thank you, sir. How you doing? I'm doing good. How you doing? I'm fine. Thank you, sir. Good, good. I mean, we've got a Friday in February with 60 degrees. How about that global warming? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a little bit too much for me. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. You know, February yeah, 60 degrees. Yeah, well, I think it should be. It should be snow on the ground and a little bit of kind of coolness. Well, I think it's coming. They say next week it's going to be a little colder than it is today. But, hey, you know, ain't nothing wrong with a little summertime in February. (laughs) All right. So uh, today we're going to talk about the Moors. Um, And, you know, based on my research and a lot of information, it was a little more challenging than I anticipated getting a good grasp on the history of the Moors. Um, Some text I read, they were trying to change their colors from, you know, black Africans to light skin to even white. Um, So there was some Mm. challenges in getting uh, good information on the Moors. And so uh, I apologize in advance. Um, you know, we're definitely <laughs> going to, I'm telling you, I apologize in advance. You know, I did not get the uh, type of information that I, I wanted to present a robust uh, picture of the Moors and their reign for over 700 years in Europe, Spain and Portugal in specific, as well as Italy and uh, how they conquered some of the European uh, cities uh, in uh, their rule. So um, so we're going to talk about this. We'll, you know, bounce around from um, piece to piece. And anyone that has uh, any comments or questions, you know, feel free to push the one. Chime in, we'll tap you in, and then we can go from there. 
um, but more of the black Muslims from Northern Africa that ruled Europe from over 700 years. They ruled Spain and Portugal from 711 AD to 1492 AD. They say Hannibal was a Moor and conquered Rome riding on elephants. And in some historical context, some people want to describe Moors as other than black. So what we're going to do is I am going to read some of the research that I have uncovered, and uh, we'll go from there. Um, you have anything you want to say before we get started, Jenny? Um, not real, um, not much about that. All so, right. All no, right. I don't. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get the the party started. Talking about the Moors, M O O R S. They were the medieval Muslim inhabitants of Al Andalus, the Iberian Peninsula, including present day Spain and Portugal, as well as the Maghreb and Western Africa, whose culture is often called Moorish. The word also used more generally in Europe to refer to anyone of Arab or African descent, sometimes called Blackamoors. The name Moors derives from the ancient tribe of the Maure, M-A-U-R-E, and their kingdom, Mauritania, Andalusia under Muslim rule, produced a society in which culture and science and learning flourished. Muslims, Jews, and Christians coexisted in a spirit of mutual tolerance. Scholarship from this period influenced European learning, especially via such people as Roger Bacon and Thomas Aquinas. Now, the fall of Grenada in 1492 saw the end of the Muslim presence in Andalusia. This event has had a global impact, including impetus to the Spanish conquest of the New World inspired by their triumph over the Muslims, which they understood as enjoying God's blessing. So when they conquered uh, Spanish conquest of the New World over the Muslims, they called that God's blessing. What has been described as the Andalusian paradigm suggests that conflict and rivalry is not inevitable for plural societies, that people of different faiths can coexist and enjoy creative, intelligent, int- and cultural exchange. Now, more, the word more comes from the Greek word moros, meaning black or very dark, which in Latin became moro. The Latin word for black was not moral, but niger, 
N-I-G-E-R. And, and, you know, just my observation, I think that's where nigger came from. Absolutely. Uh, The Latin word for black was not moral, but Niger. So I think when they call us niggers, they're talking about the Latin word of black or fusco for very dark. In some, but certainly not all cases, Moors were described as fucus. Due to the relevance of this population in the Iberian Peninsula during the Middle Ages, this term may have entered English and other European languages less exposed to this group via its Spanish cognate Moro. So they're just describing the definition of the word more, the etymology of where it came from. And it is important to emphasize that the Greeks and Romans clearly saw black-skinned Africans as a separate group of people. This was highlighted in the Greek word atheops, meaning literally a dark-skinned person. The word was applied only to some Ethiopians and to certain other dark and black-skinned Africans. With a few poetical exceptions, it was not applied to Egyptians or to inhabitants of Northwest Africa, such as Carthaginians, who was, uh, such as Hannibal, was a Carthaginian, Numidians, or Moors. The understanding of Egyptians as distinct from their southern neighbors is also clear in the ancient iconographic and written evidence. The evidence also shows that the physical type of the Ethiopian inhabitants of the Nile Valley south of Egypt, not the not the Egyptians, most clearly resembled that of Africans and people of African descent described in the modern world as Negroes or Black. So they're talking about Moors. They're trying to describe them. So in they the have only... Well, I just wanted to. I see they started from 7-Eleven, and mm-hmm. they went to 1492, so they stopped. Is that why? They were I mean, conquered. They were they were beat. They were conquered, okay. just like like any other nation. Once you lose, you lose. It was good. Why a lot of. That was a it, was about 700, it was over 700 years that black yeah. people were over Europe. That's why a lot of people in Europe have darker complexion skin, like, you know, Italians, uh, people in Spain and Rome. They have darker color skin because they had mixed blood with Africans. Africans ruled just like a lot of uh, black Americans may be light-skinned because we were in slavery and we had white people raping us, raping our women, you know. And so, you know, you had the mulatto kids, the, the mulatto offspring, which were light-skinned. You know, same thing over in Europe during that period of time. Those people were being um, ruled by black people. 
So whatever their skin complexion was, those kids were coming out half black. So, you know, uh, there you go. Uh, okay. Let's see where are we leaving. In the Arab literature, there is little mention of the word more. Rather, anthropologist Dana Reynolds contends that the Berbers emerged as a result of admixture between non-African populations who moved into the Maghreb, the Maghreb during the second millennium BCE in the more ancient African indigenous inhabitants. This would account for the variance noted among the Berbers even in ancient times. According to Roman documents, among the Berbers were the black Gayatuli and black skin Asovadelaros. You know, it's a lot of Greek words in, in this particular text. So just follow along with me. We're getting educated together in a lot of big words. <laughs> So St. Isidore of Seville, who was born in 560 CE and died in April 636 CE, wrote that Morris means black and Greek. In the late 1400s, the Italian Roberto di San Severino, in his writings, clearly distinguishes between Moors and Arabs. And in describing his journey to Mount Sinai, San Severino writes on the observance of the Muslim month of Ramadan, stating that Ramatana lasts a month and every day they fast. They neither eat nor drink until the evening. That is until the hour of the stars, and this custom is followed by the Moors as well as the Arabs. There are some Americans that consider themselves Moors, uh, not necessarily recognized as the uh, Moors of the past, but um, they consider themselves uh, as being Moors. And in the 18th century, English usage of the term Moor began to refer specifically to African Muslims, but especially to any person who speaks one of the Hassaniya dialects. This language, in its purest form, draws heavily from the original Yemeni. Arabic spoken by the Bani Hassan tribe, which invaded Northwest Africa during the 16th and 17th centuries. All right, we're getting a lot of history and a lot of education on past history that's going to bring us up to date. But, you know, right now we're, we're working with, you know, a period of time between 711 A.D., in 1492, when Columbus <laughs> discovered America, or America discovered Columbus. So that was the so, end. Well, that was the end of the um, the Moors rule. Um, but follow me on this particular, this specific paragraph here. In Spanish usage, Moro, more came to have an even broader usage to mean Muslims in general, just as Rumi from the Eastern Roman Empire came to mean Christian. So in the Eastern Roman Empire, Christians were called Rumi, R-U-M-I, in many Arabic dialects. So thus the Moros 
of Mindanao in the Spanish-speaking Philippines and the Moriscos of Granada. Moro is also used to describe all things dark, as in more Moreno, and it has led to many European surnames, such as Moore, M-O-O-R-E. You may know some Moors. Robert Moore, David Moore, De Moro, and so on. The Milanese Duke, Ludovico II Moro, was so-called because of his swathy complexion. I know this might be kind of deep for you. But until the early 20th century, Moore was often used by Western geographers to refer to mixed Arab Berber Northern Africans, especially of the towns as distinct from supposedly more pure-blooded Arabs and Berbers. Thus, the 1911 Encyclopedia Britannica defines, defines Moore as the name which, as at present used, is loosely applied to any native of Morocco which is in Northern Africa, but in its stricter sense only to the townsmen of mixed descent. In this sense, it is also used the Muslim townsmen in the other Barbary states, but even then, it recognized that the term Moors has no real ethnological value. Okay. So they want to kind of downplay the, the, the Moors and their not only their significance but their history. So the history of the Moors in seventeen eleven CE the Moors invaded Visigoth Christian Hispania under their leader an African Berber general named Tariq Ibn Ziad. That was the name of the African general who invaded Hispania. They brought most of the Iberian Peninsula under Islamic rule in an eight-year campaign. They attempted to move northeast across the Pyrenees Mountains, but were defeated by the Frank Charles Martel, like the, the, the Cognac, at the Battle of Tours in 732 CE. The Moorish state suffered civil conflict around 750 CE. The Moors ruled in the Iberian Peninsula except for areas in the northwest, such as the Asturias, where they were stopped at the Battle of Covadonga, and the largely Basque regions in the Pyrenees and in North Africa for several decades. Though the number of Moors remained small, they gained large numbers of converts. The Moors' invasion of Spain from the point of view of Christians in Europe was always regarded as an act of aggression. Indeed, it was part of the outward expansion of the Islamic world that was informed by the conviction that the whole world should be subject to Islamic rule and to the divine law of Islam. That was the Moors' position. However, the actual story of the invasion is more complex. They say the Visigoth king, Roderick, had raped the daughter of one of his counts, Julian, who in secret approached the Moors and pledged support in the event of an invasion because the king raped his daughter. Jewish advisors also accompanied the invading force. There's also evidence that some territory was gained peacefully through treaties that enlisted 
the cooperation of local administrators and inhabitants. Constable reproduces a Muslim Christian treaty of 713, in which the ruler of Tutmir and his people are promised protection and religious freedom in return for an annual tribute and loyalty to the Sultan. This is kind of confusing because it's dealing with these kingdoms over in Spain and Portugal. And it's Were they about, in Africa as well? Uh, they were from, the Moors were from Northern Africa. They were also called Berbers. And they went to Europe and invaded Europe and ruled over Europe for a period of time. Um, and Spain, Spain and Portugal. Spain and Portugal. Uh, let me give us some other context. Um, one historian said, the Moorish Iberia excelled in city planning. The sophistication of the cities was astonishing. Cordoba had 471 mosques and 300 public baths. The number of houses of the great and noble was 63,000 and 200,077 of the common people. There were upwards of 80,000 shops. Water from the mountains was distributed throughout through every corner and quarter of the city by means of leaden pipes into basins of different shapes made of the purest gold, the finest silver, or plated brass as well into vast lakes, curious tanks, amazing reservoirs, and fountains of Grecian marble. So they were living major. So anybody that was living in these cities uh, had a lifestyle. The houses of Cordoba were air-conditioned in the summer by ingeniously arranged draughts of, draughts of fresh air drawn from the garden over beds of flowers. So, okay, you got, you got air-conditioned and it's smelling like potpourri in your house, chosen for their perfume, mm-hmm. warmed in winter by hot air conveyed through pipes bedded in the walls. This list of impressive works includes lampposts that lit the streets at night to grand palaces such as the one called Azra with its 15,000 doors. Without a doubt, during the height of the caliphate of Cordoba, the city of Cordoba proper was one of the major capitals in Europe and probably the most cosmopolitan city of its time. So these Moors were blacks that were living at a major, they were living majorly. They were rich, and they had a lifestyle. Um, they had conquered. You know, uh, I was just wondering if Dorothy knew anything about them. Well, she 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 mentioned them last week, so I'm sure she right. She has, That's what, has what a clue. I was wondering. I'm here. Well, she's she's there. Yeah. Um, the Moors were the first people to ever invent a palace, and they were also the blackest people on any continent. They were so black that before they brought the light to the streets, 
you could stand there and not be able to see them. And one of the examples that I have read was that um, in modern times that uh, Nupita, whatever her name is, Nyong'o, she is of, of the Moorish descent in Africa. And a lot of, okay. of the Africans that you've ever seen are of more descent. Yeah, they said Hannibal was a Moor. Yeah. He conquered Rome on the backs of elephants. Elephants. Um, you know, there's a lot of, like they say, word salad when, you know, um, you go to uh, look up information regarding the the Moors, um, and it can be, you know, it talks about the Jewish experience, early Christian opposition. Um, it talks about the culture, and you really have to delve into it. And uh, I think, you know, based on where you get your information, that makes it understandable when you try to understand it and repeat it to other people. Um, some of the historical images, uh, the Roman term Mar, like Von Mar, if you, you know, for anybody that shops at Von Mar, M-A-U-R, describe <laughs> the native inhabitants of North Africa, west of modern Tunisia. Ancient to modern authors as well as portraits show them a variety of features such as the modern population contains. This was contrasted with other people described as Antiops or Ethiopians who live further south or Egyptians or Angictus. In portraits of okay. um Yeah, I'm just kind of reading some of this stuff without getting too confusing. Um, There's uh, someone that wants to say something. All right, caller, if you'd like to chime in, what's your name and, and comment or question? My name is Mr. P. All Moors did not have dark skin. I hear people trying to say that. Hannibal was not dark. They went across the mountains in the snow and they got suntan when they came down the other side. He got burnt. So he was still African. The richest African today is Elon Musk. Okay. I mean, there are white Africans. I mean, there are white people in Africa. So, I mean, you know. They they born, they were, they they are born there. Kushites with a K and the Egyptians were not the same. Matter of fact, Amen was was against mixed marriages. That's why he impregnated Hatshepsut's mother because he wanted a pure solar child. He had the what? Now, who was the mixing? The mixing was not with Europe, uh, with, with Caucasian. The mixing was with other Asians. Arabic is a comedic language. It's one of the only ones that's not. Technically, but although it was on the African country continent. 
But anyway, I thought I'd drop that to you. And you know, black Americans are mixed. Look at uh, our little golden child, Angela Davis. Her relatives came over on the Mayflower. I mean, that's the way human beings are. The only people on the on, on the planet that has adult, unadulterated genes would probably be the Jarawa there on the southern tip of India on the Adaman Islands. They have the yeah. oldest genes on the planet, go back over 65,000 years, called the paleontologists. And if you look at them, they all practically look alike because they don't uh, interbreed with people outside of their land. Their language was, one of their languages was the Bo, B-O. And you can Google the last speaker of the Bo. This woman died, oh, I guess, about a decade ago. Technically, they say she was. Columbus Navigators, there was the, the Nino Brothers, N-I-N-O. Now, they were of Moorish grouping. But, of course, now what? They got lost. <laughs> they weren't two good navigators. But you were saying that uh, uh, language stopped. The bow. It was a lady. Just Google D.O. And she right. was one of the last speaker of that language. And language uh, go out of existence you know, weekly, because, you know, sooner or later a tribe, not saying you know, uh, speakers of that tribe just uh, go extinct. There are thousands oh, yeah. of languages in Nigeria. Nigerians don't identify themselves as black. They identify themselves as a language group like Yoruba. My name is Bankoli, Hafa, Kano. But they don't identify themselves as black, like we do in America. That's unique to unite to to what we call the United States and some surrounding areas. But they all human beings, right? Oh yeah. No, I'm looking at the you know. language, uh, and it says it's a great Adam and Eve language, and it also, you know, uh, it says it's nearly extinct. And it shows that it's uh, spoken by the people of northern and central Adaman Islands in the Indian Ocean. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I uh, would uh, See, confirm no, talk that about the Adaman. No one talks about the Adaman. See, where the problem comes in is that people try to correlate Bible stories. Bible's not a history book. Bible stories were real, live history. Here, real, live history is people, place, real people, real places. And real events, just like what's going on in what they call Israel. There never was no land called Israel back in the day. Palestine, Palestine. Those, those people have been there forever. And there in Gondor, Ethiopia, you have what's called the Beta Israels. Beta means house of. And the Israelite government, which the one there now is Caucasians, they're German, Poland, and they come from the United States. They're not from that area. Mm-hmm. When they done that airlift and brought Ethiopian women back to settle there, which, you know, they was from there, they uh, made the women sterilize. They sterilized the women 
and made the men and sit down and hold hold on. They recircumcised the men. I don't know how the hell they done that. That's painful to even just to think of. <laughs> they did, no lie. So that government there is nothing but a proxy for basically the United States and a money money laundering scheme. I agree. Them Bible stories are not them Bible stories. They're not uh, true. Yahwehism started before Judaism. Yahweh's Yahweh's were breakaway Cushites. How do you know that? Well, because in around 700 B.C., Sennacherib, who was the leader of the Assyrians, they was coming down on Jerusalem which is spelled with a Y. And his son, Shabiko, and 1,200 Cushites marched to Jerusalem, and they fought off the Assyrians and beat them. Sennacherib is a real-life person. That battle has been plagiarized in the Bible with Second Kings, write that down, 1935. 2 hmm. Kings 19 and 35. When they say that the mice ate the bowl strings, of the Syrians, and they didn't have nothing to fight with, so they they left. Well, that's a lie. That's nothing but a myth. <laughs> so, uh, if, you know, you go back and see white skin is is a recent phenomenon on the earth. It's about six to eight thousand years old. That's about how long it is. It's just an adaptation. It's mm-hmm. uh, natural selection. When you move into a geographical area, then nature starts changing you so that you can adapt to that area. That's true. You take people off the you take people off the in Africa, and you put them up in Minnesota. Well, give them a few thousand years. It's mm-hmm. Earth white. <laughs> That's just All the way right. it is. All right. But I spent. Uh, Eight to nine years old, going in the tomb temple of the pyramids in Egypt. And uh, until you get to these positions where you can see people, then you begin to have a reference to start putting things together. There in southern Ethiopia with the Jinka in the Oromo area, those people's skin is, is practically red. It's because of the soil, red mm-hmm. akla. And they walk around naked practically because you don't have no men walking around with raging hard-ons looking at women because that's part of their culture. Mm-hmm. So uh, they're human beings, and human beings do things. Human beings fight. Human beings kill. Slavery wasn't nothing new for those that was brought over here. They had been enslaving and sending it to the east. And not really enslaving, basically, if you fought and people fight. If you lost the war, then uh, you had to pay restitution for the things you damaged and tore off. Mm-hmm. That's true. If you weren't able to do that, they're going to sell you off. They do that today. If you if a car run up into your yard and run over your hedges and landscape, and you got a right to, to impound that car until the owner can figure out he, how he or she is going to pay for the damage they've done. 
Well, that's what happened. They sold them off. And no Europeans go into the interior of Africa killing nobody. That's impossible. What kind of guns did they have? Single-firing muskets, right? How many did they mm. have? If a ship-worthy boat had to have a crew and they had to anchor offshore, well, that right. means that they had to row or the tribe members came out and brought them to shore. Now, when they bring you to shore, you got to do what's called pay the call, like a P-A-W. That's paying the king. If you go to see any king in Africa today, if you go to see the Ashanti, you got to pay tribute. They like Crown Royal, by the way. Okay. <laughs> if you go to marry African woman, my wife's from Ghana. I had to come up with a whole lot of stuff to marry her. Yeah, you got to have a dowry. There you go. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it is. So uh, we people have been uh, over-glamorized and plagiarized a lot of things. People, you know, they're human beings. That's all they are. Human beings, animals do this. You know who was the first teacher of human beings? Nature. They seen what was going on in nature, and they started doing it with their own lives. That's the only person could teach. That's the only thing they could teach them. They seen how how apes carried their kids. Well, they done the same thing. Nature was the first teacher of human beings. They didn't have no university to go to. There was no H historical black colleges and universities, so it was nature that taught them. And if you look at nature enough, you see similarities of what goes on in nature goes on in human beings today. You got to know what you're looking at. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a um, cycle of life. You know, I think that, you know, we have to adapt. We have to adapt to the regions that we're in, you know, and even with the Moors, you know, um, you know, ruling over, uh, you know, in Europe. Uh, when they had the fall of Grenada in 1492, that was the end of the Muslim pre- presence in uh, Andalusia. You know, and they said that that event had a global impact uh, because it gave the impetus to the Spanish conquest of the New World, which inspired their triumph over the Muslims, which they understood as enjoying God's blessing. So when they when they uh, defeated all these black people. You know, they figured that, you know, that was... Well, they all wasn't black now. That's when we go wrong. They weren't all black. You know, the Kushites fought off Christianity, spread into Kush for about 700 years, and they fought off the spread of Islam for about 700 years. And they were the women called the Kadakis, Candace. Candace fought off Augustus. And she sent a contingent to Augustus, which had about seven golden tip arrows. And the message was, we give you these arrows in peace, but if you want war, you have war. So there were some bad sisters. I know you've seen pictures of black women on elephants, which was the first tanks, but it was the Kadakis. 
and they didn't want to have nothing to do with no Christianity. They got it with Amen. They hidden God. And it had been so for over 10,000 years. When you look at the mm-hmm. Sphinx, you're looking at a monument that's over 15,000, that go back to over 15,000 years B.C. This isn't 2003. Based on the Egyptian Kemetic calendar, this is 11,287 that we're in. Hmm. What did you say? Can you say that again? The year that we in now, according to the Kemetic calendar, it would be about eleven thousand two hundred and eighty-seven. Then there in Dendera, in the ceiling, they have an observatory. They have a picture of a, a working of the constellation, and that spells out the 25,800-year calendar, which is 25,800 is the circumference of the Earth. <clears throat> and you see all the all the uh, what we call zoomorphic or astrological signs. Virgo is not Virgo. Aquarius is not Aquarius. It's, that was named. Those are Greek names. But here's the thing with that calendar, and you can look it up on the uh, a good book that have all this is Tony Bros's book, Now Valley Contributions to Civilization. So if they have, and the, and the calendar is accurate, so that means they would have to have observed that at least twice to get it right. So we're talking about a 26,000-year period of time of observation. And I can see why. If you ever have opportunity to go to them places over in Ethiopia, especially there in Actum, we was in a building. We went in there when it was still sunlight and had a meeting, came out at night. And I stepped out the door and I looked at the sky. I actually ducked because the mm-hmm. stars, that big and just so clear because the atmospheric condition affords the opportunity to see the heavens that you want to call the space uh, with the naked eye. There's no moisture. It's just like you in the city. When they had a period when Haley's Comet was coming through, people would drive out to the countryside because you couldn't see it with binoculars in the city because of all the smoke and smog and lights. So you had to drive out in the country to get away from that. Well, that's the same way it is over there. At nighttime, the sky is crystal clear. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this, uh, I mean, it's, 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 and see, uh, Africa's, Egypt's civil, Egypt's knowledge came from the south. It didn't come from the north. North up there, those, that area was under ice for a lot, several, what they call Pussetine periods. You had ice up there so thick, it was, it was over a mile thick. Same you talking thing about you had what? New York. You, you talking During about what? Northern Africa? Age. No, in northern, up in Europe. Okay, okay. That's expansion of ice came down while it was in New York. You had ice sheets thick as tall as the Empire State Building in time, as Mm -hmm. far as the history of the Earth. The same rock composition there in Manhattan, you can find the same chemical rock composition in Scotland. So that means that the continent was connected. They drifted apart. 
we're sitting on an ocean of molten lava. Hmm. All is not from dead dinosaurs. All is produced at the mantle. It's a natural process that goes on continuously. And if pressure builds up, then it starts spewing out, especially at the ocean bed. Mm-hmm. And it spews out through the land, too. What happened when Jed Clanford was hunting in, in, in his backyard for, for food? And what come bubbling up when he fired at a rabbit? Crude. Hmm. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> no, well, I ain't going to say Jed Clanford's story in the Beverly Hills deal, but the... No, that's the way it goes. So no, yeah, these yeah. stories, these stories that they have, especially these biblical stories, Noah's Ark, it wasn't going to be no flood. If flood, if waters covered all the the structures on the earth, even the mountaintops, well, how tall is Mount Everest? About thirty thousand feet above sea level. Okay, what's the temperature up there? Mm-hmm. The temperature up there is about 35 degrees below zero. Mm-hmm. So if water was at that level, you talking about the arc was ice skating, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Think that water covered all the earth at that, and it had the water seeks its own level. It was enough depth to cover the Mount Everest. Temperature at Mount Everest, if you fly international flight, they have that little screen up where the passengers can view. You see that the temperature outside is about 35 degrees below zero. Mm. Well, it ain't no justice, it ain't no well, justice Smollett story when he said that those white men threw liquid bleach on him and the temperature in Chicago was 19 below. Well, hell, Bleach freezes at 19 degrees. So they would have been throwing bleach ice cubes at him. He was hmm. lying. Oh, yeah. You were, yeah. You were saying something? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, there are a lot of biblical stories. And it's a lot of biblical stories that people take at face value. Um, but, you know, like you say, when logically you look at it, um, you know, a lot of it doesn't make sense. You know, so certain biblical stories you have to look at metaphorically um, as to, you know, they may mean something other than, uh, I mean, you know, even go back to the virgin birth, you know, so. um, You know how many days in an Egyptian, ancient Egyptian calendar? No. Ten. You say 10. 10. You can see the calendar today carved in stone there on the island of Philae. T-H-I-L-A-E. 10-day weeks. They had 36 weeks. Let's see, 360 days and 5 days left over at the end of the year with that's when they party. So okay, now, what, what story does that put to shame? Hmm. Well, they say God 
took six days to build to create the world, and the fifth, the seventh day he rest. Well, I don't know what, where he was at. So you don't know what know what calendar he was using, huh? No. <laughs> now, see when well, people I mean, wrote that, what what is that telling you? They didn't know. <laughs> they hmm. was copying off somebody else's stuff. They didn't know. Like they know, like you know, some people still believe the Earth is flat. That's true. Oh come on, people believe that. Yeah, all you gotta do is stand on the beach and look at the ocean. You can see how it's curved, and also watch a ship if it sail away from you. Sooner or later, you see the whole ship. Then slowly and slowly, you don't see nothing but the smokestacks. Then all of a sudden, they gone. So Mm -hmm. people thought that they fell off the Earth. Hmm. What time is it where you are now? Uh, about eight fifty. So eight fifty. So right now, and and where you are is Friday. So it's Saturday going on Sunday in New Zealand. Okay. So what time is it where you are? It's seven fifty here. I'm in Central. You in Eastern. Yeah. But right. think what I just said. It's going on Sunday in in New Zealand. It's probably twenty three hours from where we are. China, New Zealand. Oh yeah. So what they we, should do is we should call them up and ask them what the lottery numbers are. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Only if they are. Right. <laughs> Let's get some money. They already a day ahead, so they know what the lottery that's going to be drawn tonight, um, to, uh, Saturday. <laughs> it could tell you. No, but when oh, you study wow. things like studying things, just you got to study a whole broad array of things. And always remember, you know, people only can write about what they know at the time. And then you got to say that they have a motive, especially the religious motive. And then, mm-hmm. finally, you got to educate your kids, especially black kids. Black kids are not being educated the way they should That's be. That's true. That's true. Too many of them can't read and can't do math. And mm-hmm. it don't make any sense for them to be at the bottom of the ladder. They don't want well, to be there. It's up to it's the not by accident. family. It's by design. Well, if well, whether it is by design, it's still up to who? The parents and the family. But if the parents can't teach, I mean, they got this new math now. I mean, if the parents can't teach the kids, you know, parents ain't been in school in 30 years. So, you know, you know, well, you have to get. Those can should adopt a child or work with you. The church should turn their basement into learning centers. Not just open on Wednesday for Bible study and Sundays. Turn them into learning centers, communities. All this stuff is free. You believe it or not, manufacturing yeah. corporation, if you are needing something that they have, they would give it to you because they figure that these people that's learning about it will be able to utilize what it is that they have designed. And there's a lot of black children that's learning. I mean, a lot of 
Look at the National Society of Black Engineers. They do an excellent job with supporting young blacks who are in the STEM field. And they get hired, they get snatched up. Oh, yeah. I've seen, I've seen them be hired 400 at a time at their national convention. And like in 2017, 2018, in Pittsburgh and Kansas, <clears throat> Northwood Grumman, just one business, Northwood Grumman hired over 400 off the convention floor two years in a row. <clears throat> mm. 2019 in Detroit at the Cabot Center, Lockheed Martin hired that many in 2019. Lockheed Martin is a defense contractor. Mm-hmm. At the Cabot Center in in Detroit. I'm not even familiar with that place. Yeah, it's like a big auditorium. Big Atlanta has one. This I can't think of the name of the mayor. Young Coleman, not Coleman Young, Andrew Young. Right. Named after him. It's right across from the Mercedes Benz dome that was built by a, a black contractor. I can't even okay. think of his name. He's dead. Uh, Russell. C.R. Russell. He built that one. Okay. No, but you got kids that's doing marvelous things. It's not enough of them, and nobody talks about them. And we need to repeat that. It can be done. You got grandkids? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Well, do you work with them on Saturdays? Yeah, I work not with as them. Much yeah. All right. Yeah. Take them to these things. Get them chemistry sets, electric kits, electronic kits, and let them build. Get them some wood and a saw, hand saw, so they can cut things up and nail things together. That way you encourage their innovative mind. Every child has something special. It just has to be nurtured. When they bring report report cards home, don't go by that report card. You can take your child to Slyvan Learning Center, and they will evaluate and ask that child to see if they're actually doing what their report cards say. Report cards say they're doing seventh grade work, and Slyvan say, no, this child is doing fourth grade work. Then you go to their school district and say, you need to pay to bring my child up to where you say they are, and this independent institution says they're not. If you don't, I'm going to sue you. Hmm. No, I agree that, you know, it's the parents and, you know, even grandparents' responsibility to teach these children at home. And if you can't, you know, actually physically teach them uh, the curriculum, then, you know, you have to get them involved in programs. I mean, we've got programs such as DAPS. Absolutely right. You know, Detroit. You know, uh, here pre-engineering college programs right here in detroit here in detroit last year we have two black females that were um born and raised here they opened up the very first um company and they're educating for free any black child here that wants to learn about how um this is part of a STEM program that they started. How to uh, set up the cars now? The EV. Well, that's great. 
they're teaching these children how to set up their own, and they're financing out of their own pocket. You know what? I thought that was amazing. How we seventy five there? You know how we seventy five there? There's yes. a there's a highway patrol office out there on Highway 75. Yes, it is. It's several. And across and across the street road from there, there's a tall office building. I worked on that office building back in 1973. Building that building for Bethlehem Steel. I came out of St. Louis. They paid my travel, gas mileage in that. They paid my food and my housing while I was on that project back in 1973. That was an opportunity that we was able to capture on. And there's a lot of opportunities like that. We just have to get our children prepared and leave all that other nonsense stuff alone. Right. Well, in this day and age, you have a hard time trying to get the parents together. That's where it well, starts, getting the parents together. I agree with you. So that means we got to start producing some more and better and enthused parents than the one we have today. Right. And you do. You have to get your, your parents interested in their children and their children's well-being. If they don't. And stop, and stop telling me about, um, I can't think of the, the statement that they make, uh, oh, generational wealth. Quit telling me about generational wealth and you're on food stamps. Hmm. But my thing, but and, my know, thing is this. My thing is this. I'm a teacher, and I'm in Texas. I see it every day. I have the same complaint every day. First of all, we have rules in place. Why are you bringing your child to school sick? Now everybody's sick. I mean, it's just the little stuff. The parents are not going to participate. We are babysitters, along with we got to teach them. Hygiene, we got to teach them, you know, geography and math. You you want me to teach them everything, but I can't file them on my taxes. And, and I don't understand that. These parents are 20 years old. They don't know nothing. So you because can't teach your kid to be better if you don't know. So that's, that's the era we're living in now. It's the parents well, are young. The grandparents right. don't hardly want to be bothered. So the child is caught in the crossfire and when you try to teach them stuff they looking at you like well I ain't got to do that because when I get home I can get on my iPad my cell phone and I got a 15 and all of this and that but you don't know I told my children do not allow your children to have any of that the things change with the parents after the baby boomers Parents got to the point where they the a lot of unwed <clears throat> mothers had children, and they had to work, and they came home, and they didn't care about how their children were raised, what happened to them in the street while they were in that work. Nope. Uh-uh. It took over the children and raised your children, basically. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, what y'all are saying is absolutely correct, and young men, that's where the design came in at. But what I'm saying is this. We know what happened. We know about all the perpetuity and the plots and things, but we have to work through of that. We, if we just say one, that's better than none. Right. No child. 
you, and that's you put why that I work every day. Example, then the other people and, will want their families in the same position. Yeah, we. I think that we they spend too much time on sports. If sports is okay, if it's a competent with academics, but let's realize this. You know how many kids was wasted to produce with just one LeBron James? We mm-hmm. talking about thousands of kids that did not make the big time. So they have to still survive. They have to accompany sports with academics. And if you can't get the academics, you can't play no sports. Right. And that's what and they have a contract with that too. If the kids fall below a certain grade point average, they get kicked off the team. Point blank period, unless you get a tutor and bring that grade up. But in the meantime, you sitting out. Well, you and have so, to remember. But my, th- but no, my thing ahead. is everybody is not going to be an athlete. Everybody is not going to be a teacher. Everybody is not. You can't mold your kids to say, hey, you know what? One day you're going to be better than LeBron James. No, give them something better than that. Everybody can be a Tiger Woods, uh, Babe Ruth. Tell them stuff like, okay, look, whatever passion that you have, we're going to roll with. If you like art, be an art teacher. You know, sell paintings. You know, stuff like that. You know, don't put in the head, oh, well, I want you to play pro ball. Well, they might not make it. I mean, you know, so you have to give them something else to fall back on. Well, you well, have absolutely. to. Okay. You know, you have to okay. remember that these, these institutions are making money off of these kids, and they, you know, That's fought to sure. the nail for them, you know, to not get these NIL deals, these name, image, and likeness deals, where you've got these college students now doing these commercials for all state and. You know, these beverage companies, you know, they're just doing commercials and they're getting paid now, you know. And so these institutions have been making millions off of these kids for free. And, you know, and then they want to they want to um, punish these kids if they accept money, you know, uh, you know, for these kids to eat. I mean, a lot of these kids were poor kids, you know, poor college students. You know, but if they accept, you know, mm-hmm. this, this money from boosters, you know, they were being penalized. And so, you know, now, you know, these schools are still not, you know, still against these kids making money uh, on their own names and images. So uh, when it comes to their best interests, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's kind of twofold. It's like, you know, trusting the 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 fox over the, the the hen house, you know. They're, okay, you know, they gotta eight, five, eight, six. If they right, don't make it. Who yes. is that? I got a nephew who was number one high school wide receiver in the nation. His name is Luther Burden. He plays for Mizzou, and I think this is his last year. Well, heck, they gave him a brand-new Mercedes to drive. He's got his name, image, and likeness on old Vienna potato chips. They got jackets with his initials on, LB3. His father was my wife's nephew, and I worked with him when he was a little boy. 
I used to take them all camping in it. And he went to play basketball with St. Louis U, but he got in trouble hanging out with the wrong people. Now, this is his third son. I didn't have anything to do in his life because, you know, it's time to move on. He, but he went to, he transferred over to East St. Louis High School just because of the exposure in football. But right. the academics are terrible. Okay. Of a high school class of 1,200, less than 1% is doing math proficiency and less than 6% reading. Wow. Well, wow. if he doesn't Man. make it to the NFL, I don't know what to tell him. Right. Because wow. he didn't get that kind of education. And there are schools like that. Yeah, well, there's a okay. type of line. In the Who prison. is that? Five, eight, six, three, um, five, nine, three, nine, three, four. Who is that? All right. They yeah. wanted to say I, something. Yes, I, I just wanted to know what was the name of the independent school uh, um, that you get your child tested at? That's Slyvan. One of your callers. Yes. One of your callers mentioned that you can get your child tested to see what yeah. grade they're actually uh, operating it's, at. It's, and I wanted to Slyvan, know what was the man. name. Yeah, he's giving it to Slyvan. you now. Slyvan? Slyvan. I think it's spelled S Y L V A N. Slyvan. You can. It's, oh, it's one Silver. of those schools where Silver. Oh, Silver. Silver. Oh, Silver. I'm sorry. I'm Silver sorry. Here. Yeah. No, yeah. no, it's okay. All right, Silver. Silver. And they yeah. will independently test, uh, assess your child to see exactly where they are. And, and I'm Silver telling you, is here in Michigan in the suburbs. I believe it's Bloomfield Hill. And if your child okay, so is not, if your report card says eighth grade, and they getting C's and that, and your child is tested by them, they give you a report. You take that to that board of education. You tell them, you got to pay to bring my child up to where he or she's supposed to be because you're lying on this report card. Well, I think well, the parents to do that, that the parents don't know that. It, I think that parents should know what level their child is at. And this is, this is the problem. If the, if, uh, if the teachers are giving them A's and they're really operating at C and D level, you know, the parent needs to know what the child should be knowing at what grade. Well, you first got to work with the parents There's to get no the parents to be interested. No out there for the parent to know your child should know this at that grade, your child should know that at that grade, and there's no outline out there for the parents. And I don't care if you don't know how to read yourself. If you have an outline of what your child should know, you can push your child. But if the parents come to the parent-teacher meeting. And call, I mean, and answer the phone when the teacher is called to say, hey, Timmy is falling behind, but you don't care because you got to go to work and you can't afford to put them in a silver program and we don't have tutoring programs. They want us to stay after school and tutor Timmy when Timmy's not really, he ain't thinking about that. Timmy not listening between 7.30 and 3 o'clock. So how you think I'm going to stay another two hours after work to tutor him on something he should have gotten that morning. So if the parents are, the parents know, unless you just deaf, dumb, and blind, the parents know well, 
if you don't never have homework. I can't never see your classwork. Because when the kids, they have a test, we check it off, we send everything home with them so the parents can see what they do on a weekly basis. So if you fail to look in your child's book bag, that's on the parent. That ain't on me because I didn't did my job. I can't raise all of your kids and teach them at the same time. Some are going to have to give. So if you steady having these kids, then put the time in. If you don't want them, it's stuff out there. It's stuff out there that you can use. That's no excuse. Enough of that already. So now that the kids well, are I understand here, what do you're your saying, job. but I'm Miss. I'm a broken woman surrounded by broken people, and uh, my neighbor told me, "I'm not doing what I want to do. I'm not doing what I need to do. I'm doing what I have to do," and mm-hmm. that in itself. It's what with the problem that we have, and we're going to have to solve that or nothing. They've already stolen our religion. They've stolen our, our history. Now they're still in our children's future. And if we don't help these mothers and these children now, it's all over for us. Well, you know, you and got these organizations. You have these churches and all that. They should provide the infrastructure for these children to be able to be brought up to where they should be. And never let your child decide what they want to be. You go through that process of assessing and surveying yourself what that child has an inner ability to do. And when I say inner, some may have mechanical skills. Some may have Mm -hmm. reading skills. So a child is going to choose based on their peer pressure. That's what they do. Because they want okay. to be part of the crowd. I, I thought that's another church. problem that we have, too, that our children need to have picked something before puberty. And we keep thinking, mm-hmm. oh, you know, 17, 18, they decide. No, our children need to have chosen something before puberty. Well, I don't Absolutely. know about that. I yes, know there's, a, I there's a, a lot of adults, you know, that, you know, still trying to find themselves. So. You know, I don't know that, you know, a child, you know, under 18 is going to know what they want to do for their life or their career. I mean, they you, know, should you know, they should know by at least the sixth grade. You can tell what that you can tell if they're going to play they're going to play center or wide receiver on the football team. You go through the well, combine, see are, how fast they can run, well, see how high they can jump and how far they can throw. Well, I mean, you know, I'll just give you an example. Anthony Davis was seven feet tall. At one point, he was he was the size of a guard, you know, until he grew, you know. So, you know, because you enter We're different phases of their your life. We're not talking about their physical skills. Let me tell you what well, I did I mean, with my last. My last sibling is my grandson. His father lost his life in an automobile accident. So according to our family values, he comes to the grandfather. Okay. And I start assessing him early. I could see he had skills to play baseball, and I told him, you're going to be an engineer. And that's what we worked toward. I used to train him in baseball. I hit him 100 ground balls every day. And if he got the 85 and missed, I made him start over. Every day he had a hundred math problems to do. 
If he got to 85 and missed, he started over. So one day he went to his mama. He said, Mama, Papa keep making me start all over. His mama looked at him and told him, get back in there because he made me do it too. (laughs) Yeah, but that's one success story. Everybody's story is not going to be like that. And another thing, the church... I mean, I understand that the church should have different tutoring programs, but it ain't up to the church. It's not up to the church to do all of that. That's why we have different school districts. So if it's a problem, the school district, we should be raising enough heads to tell the district, hey, our kids are failing these star tests and these tests that they take every year, what can we do to improve our numbers? Because that don't look good to the state of Texas. And then if the numbers steady decline, then that's when they start closing schools. Well, it's by the We line. have to hold our there, districts accountable. There's a pipeline to prison. You know, they're, st- they're steady building prisons, and by the, you know, the, the third or fourth grade, they know how many prisons they need to build just based on these children's scores. You know, I, I, I also heard that the master's not going to teach you how to, um, you know, take his wealth, you know. So in other words, the boss not going to teach you how to be a boss. He's not going to teach you how but to guess, take his job. Guess what? You know? no. Guess what? No. Nigerians, Nigerians have the highest educational attainment and household income than any ethnic group in the United States. At any over, given over, over the Asians and Chinese? Over the Over them. At yeah. any given point. Now, I ain't talking about the ones that come here. I'm talking about first, second, third generation. And they just okay. as black as Wesley Snipes, and they not going to teach your kids, African-American, how to take power from theirs either. You got to okay. do it yourself. Hmm. You have to do it yourself. And you have to understand, that's just like these immigrants, you know, that they, uh, they're they they're busting to Chicago and New York and they're giving them, you know, they're giving them money, they're giving them housing, they're giving them food stamps, mm. you know, they're giving them another, you know, a number of different things to be successful. It's mm. just like, you know, America, when, you know, the slaves were uh, set free. They didn't give them anything. They didn't give them 40 acres and a mule. But, you know, these European and these immigrants came over. They're giving them free land, you know, millions of acres of land. And so then, you know, people turn around and they wonder why black people are having such a hard time when, you know, first generation, you know, immigrants and and Arabs are coming over here and they're getting these loans and things and they're starting to get everything. Black community. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're looking at these black people like, okay. You know, you're lazy, you know, how come you haven't been able to succeed? You know, we really have to look at the big picture, you know, um, and the educational you know, system and the way the it's set up. Detroit, back in the 90s, we worked with, uh, I was with the National Black United Front. Karen McGowan, Joanne Watson, I think Joanne Watson sat on the school yes, board. Yes, I, I know more Kwame was in the, on the school board. We worked to put African Center curriculum throughout the Detroit Public School. Okay. Is a guy by the name of Clifford Watson. He had an ad hoc meeting on one Saturday when the temperature was below frigid temperatures. 
and they came up with that plan. It created right. schools like Malcolm X, created schools like Paul Robeson. Mm-hmm. Malcolm X kids at the time was outperforming uh, Trivian out in Groose Point, and uh, I can't think in the other area. All right. But uh, it was successful. Now they gotten away from that. Hmm. What happened to it? It's gone. Well, Matt, no, Malcolm X Academy is still in effect. It, it's joined on with Paul Robeson. Paul Robeson used to be in that orphan building. You had a charter school named Insaroma, and you had another one that was uh, put together by a lady by the name of Malkia. She passed away. I think it was Timbuktu. All right. Yeah, now those schools were here. Those schools were here. You know, those were like um, those were like independent charter public schools. And I don't know. You don't hear much about them, you know, nowadays. I'm on the board of directors of a of a charter school, you know, um, in Canton with a mixed population. I think you know, black students are probably 25 percent of the the school population from K to eight. Uh, but in regard to the schools in the city that had the Afrocentric curriculum, I don't know. There's been a lot of school closures. There's been a lot of schools mm-hmm. that have closed that have been given to charter schools. And so the number of Detroit public school students have gone from 250,000 to probably less than 50,000 now. So uh, You're right. Your, your public schools is less than 50,000. St. Yeah, Louis so, is over 100,000. They're down about 17,000. All right. All right. So, you know, the, the state of education, it has been, you know, designed not to, I mean, you know, you can go back to when we were in school and what we were taught and what we weren't taught. And the majority of the things that you were talking about today you know, this evening. I'm sure that you didn't learn in school. No, you're absolutely right. We didn't learn in school. I'm sure you I'm sure you didn't learn half the stuff that you talked about tonight in school. And so, you know but that's here's the thing. Here's here's the thing. Right today in twenty twenty four, that child, your grandchildren, you can do them a lot of good. You just gotta sacrifice. Right. Hey look, oh, I, yeah. my grandson, my grandson went went to L S U he right now he's a petroleum engineer. When he went down there in 2016, and about two years before that, I had a pair of shoes. I wore them shoes for all the time that he was in college, and they had holes in them. My toes were sticking out. And he said to me, "Papa, why don't you buy you some new shoes?" And I looked at him and I said, "You can get out of college, and I'll get me some new shoes." He double majored in five years, mm-hmm. and he's working on his advanced degree, and he's working as a petroleum engineer right outside of New Orleans. So it can be done, but you got to say, hey, this is what I'm going to do. You got to sacrifice. I'm sorry. You got to sacrifice. You always want your child to start off uh, above you. You're standing on the shoulders of your ancestors. But you ain't right. gonna see far if they land on their back. I mean, well, you just you know, gotta do it. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, we've given up, you know, oh. almost, oh. you know, three, okay, so three, four hundred. Well, one lady, she ain't gave up. She told her kids, 
said that her grandkids ain't going to have all the electronic gadgets. She hasn't gave up. Well, I mean, you know, the electronic gadgets, I mean, just like anything else, you have to censor, you know, their usage. Uh, you can't not let them use it, I mean, because then they're going to be technologically inferior to to everybody else that has this technology. I mean, my one-year-old technology granddaughter. just became a babysitter. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's a babysitter. Okay, guys, we're running out of time. Time, well, time. So if you have can, something uh, to say, to to say. All right, I'm gonna tell you what I you... have to say. And I'm gonna leave. But no, okay. educate your kids. Work with your grandkids. Provide them what they need to have. Instead of teaching your kids how to teach, uh, speak Kishwahili and the other languages, they teach them the machine languages, basic, Pasquale, Fortran. That's the languages of the future. But uh, anyway, thanks for letting me share okay, my experience with y'all. What's your name? What's your name? Well, my my real name is Pianchi, but uh, just say somebody P- dropped in. How do you spell? How do you spell it? Because we want B-I-A-N-K-I. B I A N K I. B as in Paul. P. Okay. P P I A N K I. The way you pronounce it. But no. Well, thank you. Uh, I really you enjoyed it. I hope we got something out of it. I learned. I learned a lot from y'all, though. Thank you very much. Well, we learned something from you too. Thank you. And uh, Miss Lady, five eight six. What's your name? Did she leave? I guess so. Okay. Does anybody want to say something before it's time to cut off? I just want to say that uh, when I was in school, I didn't learn about the Moors. If I did, that was over 30 years ago. But I didn't remember. So this was a refresher course, and I appreciate I was able to uh, chime in tonight. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Anytime, anytime. Okay, Dorothy. You're never too old to learn. Never. Refresher right. courses and all. I I am in my seventies and I still learn something new every day. Oh yeah. Exactly. Okay. Mr. Coleman. Uh great show. We had a uh, great dialogue, you know, talked about a number of things. We also talked about the yeah. Moors and black kings and queens that you ruled Europe for over seven hundred years. Uh, and I think that's important kids, that, we, yeah. that we, mm-hmm. that, you know, we know that the Moors existed and uh, what they stood for. And that's what they call, you know, the Middle Ages or, you know, the Black Ages, the Dark Ages. It was when the Blacks, uh, when the Moors were ruling the Dark Ages. Jenny okay. White? Anybody else want to go before I go? Uh, you, okay. you can go. Okay, the only thing I have to leave with is five things you can't recover in life. Number one, a stone after it's thrown. Number two, a word after it's been said. Number Mm -hmm. three, time after it's gone. Number four, trust after something is lost. And number five, an occasion after it's missed. 
So those are some of the things that you can't take back. A word after it's said, you really can't take it back. And time after it's gone. So I'm thinking, uh, I like everybody, I uh, we had a good evening. And hopefully we got something that we can use. That's what I'm thinking because I was listening and there's some things that I can do. Okay. Thank you. We will. Next week uh, there's going to be a vacation and because that's a birthday. Uh-huh. So <laughs> happy um, birthday. To, thank you. Happy birthday, Miss Jenny. Okay, thank you. The twenty third. The twenty third will be the next one. So okay. thank you. We people. get a break Friday. Okay. Yes. Okay. Net twenty three. And we've had a good day today. We had a good day today. And hopefully someone kind of, you know, thinking about something that the other people like me were thinking about too. So hopefully. I have a question. I have a question. What is it? What's that? Uh, It's May. How far out were you to completing uh, the Moors. Me? Uh, Maceo. Yeah, what do you yeah, mean? Yeah, I know you were. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm sorry. Okay, you, you were giving us information. Uh, were you halfway through the information or no, you were no. close? No, I was, I was close to the end. You know, there's uh, more research that uh, I need to do on the Moors to bring a, a better presentation that will be um a little more um informative. So we'll uh, definitely revisit the Moors again. Okay. That's what I was hoping you would say that we would could possibly finish it up on the twenty third. Yeah, we'll we well, we're gonna talk about it on the twenty third. We'll definitely talk about them again in uh in a more uh robust way. And uh, just some examples of some more that people, you know, know and are familiar with. Okay. All right. Well, you know, okay. this has been a great episode. Thank you, people. And, Thank you. Um, you Everyone have a happy, uh, a happy uh, Valentine's Day and everything else. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, okay, and, have uh, a good evening, to... people. <laughs> All right. All right. Okay. Right. Have a good evening, everyone. Good show. All right. Okay, good, good night. Good night. Okay. Good night. Bye-bye.
With Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.